This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 140 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. How's that for an old-school intro? Once Mike and I get all caught up, we'll be discussing bass drum heads and how different bass drum heads can really affect the sound that you're getting out of the drum. Our featured artist this week is Between the Buried and Me's Blake Richardson. In our gear review section, we'll be taking a look at the Turkish Lale Karta Signature Series symbols. After that, we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. Well, not a bunch, but we'll get to a a few of them and then we'll get to our picks of the week so let's get started bro this is gonna be epic i know it is i can feel it <laughs> i've been up since 4 30 i've already got my workout in on my 19th cup of tea let's freaking go dog <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding how can you say you've been up since did you say 4 4 30 4 30 that's when my alarm goes off to get me to crossfit at 5 30 holy cow dude yeah, week two, while doing a camp, I'm good. I'm fine. It's all good, Mike. I don't need you to worry about me. No. I'm kind of speechless. I mean, I think like if I had to fly across the country, I'll get up that early maybe for an 8 a.m. flight. Oh. But, man, that's Yeah, brutal. I mean, the, it's not the preferred time for sure. Uh, I'll be switching to the 9 a.m. classes as soon as the camp is over. But it's the only, it's the only uh, session they have that works while I'm in camp. Um, they don't have night sessions? I, I guess, yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. Well, and the, no, they we get done with the camp. The earliest we get done is like eight thirty. Yeah. So they're open. Their first class is at five thirty, and then their last class is at six p.m. So and it's all good. It's all good. So how is the first camp of two thousand eighteen? I can't tell you any specifics because so many of our campers that are coming this year are listeners of the podcast, and I can't give them a heads up on what's going on. All I can say is it's nothing like any camp I've ever done before. And the growth that's happening in the camp is insane. It's usually cool. Now you're prepared to go home and practice and you'll grow at home. But seeing it here in person is just unreal. What I will say is this camp focuses on the basics. The whole theme of the camp is the rabbit hole camp. We're going down the rabbit hole on very basic topics. So the hope is that all four of our core days that we do, our fifth day is kind of a wild card day that I'll explain once this year is over. But on the four core days, each topic that lasts the whole day is something you can already do. So let's say okay. it's single pair diddles. Mm -hmm. Everyone here can do it, but we're going to go until your brain explodes type of thing. And then – and that's just me teaching it. And then you find the place that just kind of as a drummer turns you on the most where you go, I didn't know pair diddles could do that. That's what I want to practice. And then you get an hour to practice and that type of thing. Um, nice. So it's, but you're not really learning. Let's say it's not, by the way, for those of you thinking you're getting a head, you know, a head start, <laughs> it's not the single paradigm. <laughs> but if it was, um, if it was that, my goal isn't to teach you how to do cool things with the paradigm. I couldn't care less about that. My goal is to teach you how to learn something deeper. And then mm. by using something you already know, like the paradigm, then you go home and apply it to, your double bass metal chops. I don't care what it is. It's just learning how to learn on a much deeper level and realizing you might not need to be such a such an information hoarder. Maybe you just need to take the things you know and learn them deeper, deeper, deeper. Yeah. I mean, what a great lesson. I mean, it's. I had some teachers that kind of guided me that way, but I never really 
you know, understood it until I decided I did. Well, first of all, I didn't have time to practice anymore. I was like, these are the tools I've right. got. What can I do with them that I've never done before? Yeah. That really yeah, kind of forced me that thing. way. But, you know, having teachers that all we did was stick control and syncopation applications and variations, that kind of opened it up to me like, whoa, you can go forever with this stuff. It's yeah. Like that, I mean, that's really it. what it is. But the thing that I had to do to make this camp work is I can't assume when you get here that you actually even know how to play one of the pages out of syncopation. So I had to find things where it's like, no matter what, I know you can do this. So that's a great place for us to start. It's going to slow the camp down if I have to teach you what we're about to go down the rabbit hole with. Oh, yeah, that's right, right. Right. So single strokes, another great example. So that's been really cool. And then the other thing is we're starting each day with what I've avoided like the plague for all seven years of camp. I've avoided like like I literally yell at people when they do this, which is shedding. Mm. Two drummers get in a room and throw down. But so all I do all week long is I go, hey, guys, like like they use my room during breaks. I go, hey, guys, make sure that you're working on a part of the camp. Okay. <laughs> um, and they go, yeah, totally, Mike. And I close the door and I hear it. I'm like, ah, don't do that. It's so so like machismo testosterone crap. Um, so here's what I did. I said, you know what? We're going to do that the first thing. You're going to wake up. You're going to walk in and we're going to shed. But. We're going to make it so that you don't – so the fills are the least important part of everything because we're going to have a theme to each shed. So uh, the theme to day one was can you – do you know where you are in time? So we're trading two-bar fills and no one is waiting. There's no beats in between. When my two bars are up, that's when your two bars starts. Well, what happens is you notice that people start waiting for – let's say that I'm the one soloing for two bars. They're waiting for me to hit that final crash to give them the go-ahead to go. Yeah, right. Well, I don't want to crash on the one. <laughs> I, want, I might want to crash on the end of two in the next bar. I want to go over the bar line. So it's like I need you to pay attention to where you are in the phrasing. So by day two, we were trading four-bar phrases and not one person – didn't know where they were inside of a four-bar phrase of improvisation. That's, that's huge. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. So then all of a sudden the fills mean nothing, and no one's shedding. No one's trying to blaze chops because they're so hyper-focused on, is this bar three? I mean, that's easy to do when you're keeping time, but when you're improvising, you get lost. You oh, know? yeah. Scat to capital, second to maybe second bar. <laughs> Crash. Like, you know, you just don't know where you are. And so it's, it's, that's been a real help because we do that the first thing. It's like, cool. We got that out of our system. Now let's go learn some drums, you know? So that's it's cool. been a lot of fun. So camp one, success. Camp one, while doing CrossFit classes at 5.30 a.m., somewhat success. Oh, yeah, um, so far. I mean, it is the first one. Let's talk on Camp 10. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, also, I'm also really starting to understand this thing with people and coffee because I've uh, never tasted coffee in my life, but I'm totally seeing the appeal, and I'm like, oh, that would be super beneficial. <laughs> I'm starting to die. Uh, so, yeah, so it's good, man. How's, hey. uh, wait, how was your class? Oh, what were you going to say? I'll say, you still have your drum key? Where are we at? <laughs> Funky primer, I do. Hell yeah, I do. That thing is right on the kit right now. Thank All you, right. Cherry Hill Drums. I'm loving it. I check everyone. Like What I do is like once we're done with the shed at the end of the night where we all the campers play a song, I give everybody a nice smack on the tush, and I'm just feeling for a key. You steal my key? You steal my key? That's what I want to know. It's no longer than one second, Mike. Keep your head out of the gutter. It's just a quick in and out. All right. Oh, man. Moving on. You know what? How is I, your- hated, I hated varsity sports because of the obligatory butt smack. I'm like, right. dude, in, in any other situation, if you would have done that, I would punch you in the throat. Like, this is right. unacceptable. Get your hand well, off my we butt. We have actually 
created something for the Mike's Lessons camp that started in the last camp of last year, and now it's moved into the first camp of this year, but it's going to be forever. So it's the Mike'sLessons.com Lettuce Wrap. What okay. does that mean? Okay. The Mike'sLessons.com Lettuce Wrap is we know that there's two possibilities when you get off the kit after playing a song. Someone will either give you dap, like give you knuckles, yeah. or they will give you a high five. And generally, with Caucasians, we guess the opposite of what other the other person's doing. <laughs> right. That's what we do. Right. That's like it's built into our DNA, right? So the lettuce Amazing. wrap is whoever goes in first, whoever makes uh, something first, you actually do the opposite. So if the fist is coming at you, you go with the high five and you wrap the fist with the lettuce wrap. <laughs> That's so dorky. If their hand is coming at you, you go in with the fist. And so it's it's the Mike'sLessons.com lettuce wrap. And by dorky, if you mean amazing, uh, I agree, dude. Yeah, I totally get it. So dorky, you know you, it's amazing. I hate to say it, you would have such a blast at camp, dude. Because it is, it's all dorky all the time. And when do we get to do that in life? Like, when do we get to geek out over that stuff with eight other people that get it? It's it's pretty fun. So, yeah. Okay, now I need to hear about you, buddy. How was your thing? It was great. Yeah, I did the um, Midwest Rhythm Summit this past weekend. I had a few podcast listeners and and facebook friends show up it was awesome cool uh it was a little bit different for me they requested i talk more about technology so it was a little bit more of a nerdy like this is what drum triggers do and this is what how i use loops and that kind of stuff but i felt like it was at least my goal was to just get everyone thinking like get some of this stuff because there's so much music to be had and made with it Mm. so it was part like if you want to be employed and as a working drummer in 2018 you've got to be able to do this stuff and it was also part like instead of just practicing to a metronome or just exercise out of a book you can create your own music and then that inspires you to do things you never would have thought to practice before so yeah it was cool it was a lot of fun got to hang out with don familaro for a bit who's always just oh nice he's just such a energetic dude Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? He is coffee. Yeah, right? exactly. He is coffee. So it was fun. It was oh, that's good awesome, man. I've never been to Fremont, Ohio before, so that was interesting. And now you have. Now I have. Right. Check off that's the box. That's awesome, man. <laughs> well, I'm, st- I'm stoked for you. I really hope there's more and more and more of that stuff in your future. And like, I have this vision of, of something where without either one of us pulling any strings, you and I end up on the same drum festival. Yeah, together. just randomly. Like, I think what? it'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> I just couldn't even imagine if they sent me the list and it was like, Jojo Mayer, Thomas Lang, Michael Dawson. I'd be like, get out of town. you got to be kidding me. This is awesome. I'd be in like the green room doing a little workshop Stop it. in there. I don't want to hear that. Nope. <laughs> no, you wouldn't, man. Uh, it's it's cool. I'm I'm as a, as your friend and as a fan. I'm just really excited that the world is getting to see what you bring to the kit because I think um, it's pretty amazing. And obviously, you can only recognize it as much as you can because you're you're doing it, so you don't really see it from the outside. But we see it from the outside, and I just know that the whole drum community is really proud of of what you're doing because it's so true to you you're not chasing anyone else you're being 100 percent you and that is inspiring to everybody no matter where their talent level is at yeah appreciate it yeah hopefully it'll be yeah, more buddy. i've got some you know other things in the works i'll be making announcements um, nothing <laughs> major maybe something major actually i'm gonna throw that out there but whoa yeah, maybe whoa. <laughs> man I'm, we might have to resume our friendship and i might have to call you away from the podcast so you can talk to me all right well let's get into our show today oh, we've got we a lot have, of stuff we to haven't get talked to. about kyle's beat man and how cool was it oh that was like, the first thing i wanted to talk about because it was so fun to do an intro over a little country twang with a 258 inch deep snare drum oh that, so that was, was awesome that was kyle denny he had 
it sounds like he took a 12 by 14 floor tom and had some, you know, maybe some snare bed cut into it and a snare mechanism. Okay. So I mean, you could really hear the tone of the floor tom. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's become a trend now. Every company has their right. own version of that. But it sounds like he might have been ahead of the curve and made his own or made his own when he saw that these things <laughs> the were curve. the thing. So that Either uh, way, it was awesome. What do you have on top? An Aquarian Force 10 coated on the batter, which that's a two-ply head with two 10 mil. Two 10 mils, yep. That's, yeah, that's a pretty thick head. <laughs> sounds good. And then the kick drum was a Star Classic Babinga, Star Classic Babinga by Tama, which always sounds good. He's got 16-inch... What's he using? Pisces Masters Thin Crash 16 over top of a 900 series crash on the bottom. So he's doing mm-hmm. his own thing. He's doing his own well, thing. Well, it sounded fantastic. And, uh, and yeah, one, one thing you guys want to think about when doing anything with a, uh, a snare deeper than 9 inches and detuned, don't drop the heat on chops. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Just, play, <laughs> just give me 2 and 4. Yeah. And, and Kyle, you crushed it, buddy. <laughs> you crushed great. it. It was fantastic. All right. Well, let's get into our episodes. Let's talk about some bass drum heads. Uh, it's funny. You and I have talked. You know, We're on episode 140. You mentioned to me earlier that we're coming up on our three-year anniversary of this podcast, <laughs> yeah. which is amazing. And you and I really have never gotten into bass drum heads that, like, on a deep level. No, not really. I think we might have done like a general drum heads piece. Right. But yeah. Right. But bass drum heads are such a separate beast. Uh, like, I don't feel weird when I know that my snare, my toms, and even now for me, the bottoms of my toms, it's all the same head. Single ply, texture coated. Mm. So my whole kit, besides the bottom of my snare, is single ply, texture coated. But my bass drum is its own animal. It's not using those heads. And I treat it as a different beast because I'm not trying to make it what maybe a jazz player would. It's not my third uh, pitch of a tom it it is a bass drum um, or a kick drum i should say mm-hmm. so for me um so yeah so they you can have your own recipe for for kick drum heads and they all do something different and you also have to f- weigh the balance between a muffled head or a non-muffled head with muffling in the drum those yeah. are very different sounds to me yeah and and i think um ease of use is a big factor with that. Like mm. I was actually talking yeah. to you know Mike, who was at the clinic uh, about bass drum heads and just a little bit. And and I kind of my point is like, yeah, pre muffled head is awesome if you want that pre muffled sound. But what if you want some more ambience and some more resonance? You're never going to get it from that head. But right. you, you take use, the towel out and nothing changes. Yeah, it's it, I mean, which is perfect if you know you always want one sound. But if you right. want to. Yeah, so that's not the most versatile thing. It's an easy sound to get. I it's think. an easy sound, and and for a lot of people that don't know how to achieve, you know, you and I have experienced this with our students so many times that in the beginning, a lot of drummers are scared to mess with their drums. They're like, I don't know, this is how it came from the store. I'm I'm, I'm not going to turn any of these knobs and these keys. Yeah, um, true. And I remember thinking like when the Evans Emad head first came out, yeah. same with the Aquarian yeah. Super Kick set. It was like, you know what? If you don't want to ever change anything, just yep. throw this on. It'll never do anything other than this. Kick. Kick. It'll just do that, but it'll always do it. And yeah. it'll do it flawlessly. And it's a sound. It's kind of, I hate to use this term, but it's kind of that drum porn thing that we all like where it's like, eh, that's just cool when someone rips chops because you can hear every single note. Yeah. But if somebody said, hey, I just need like a nice singer-songwriter open bass drum with like a big felt beater, and you're like, yeah. kick. Kick. It's not going to really give you what you wanted. So, like you said, that's why 
if there was the best sound, we would only have one head. The reason we don't is because there's the best sound for every situation, yeah. and that does change. So let's talk about what we have to go through. So, yeah, well, let me talk about from my personal experience. I was a pre-muffled head user from the moment those things came out. It was awesome. I didn't have to put any pillows, any towels on the drum. I could take it to any gig, and it always sounded good. But then I on went the, in, uh, on the Signia. No, this was on the Export. Oh, yeah. bro, you okay? So th- that would have been probably a Power Stroke three. No, it was the um, when the Superkick one first came out. Okay, so the Power Stroke three it. was the first one I saw that had anything other than a than a head. It had like just the extra ply, right. as the ring. Yeah, Superkick was the first one I saw that actually had muffling in the head. Okay, yeah, so that yeah. was your move to muffled heads. Yeah, and everyone in, in my town was like, "Whoa, that's the greatest thing ever! It just sounds right. perfect. It gives you that kind yeah. of pre pre EQ'd, real tight and punchy." But the first time I went to the studio with one of my bands, and we were in a big wood room, and the engineer was like. I just want a little more ambience from the bass drum. I'm like, uh, I can't. I can we don't tune have it. it. If I tune it tighter, it just starts to sound boomy like an 808. Like, I, yep. So yep. I went to the shop and I got a remote power stroke three. Okay. And that so was one step down. So it gave yep. me enough resonance because he wanted to. This was when, uh, what's that Coldplay song? Um, shoot, off their second record, In My Head. Yellow. No, after that. It starts mm. with a big drum beat. Okay. Anyway, he was like, that's "Wow, a- you never sing drums. That was awesome." <laughs> he was like, "That's the sound we want. We want room, all mostly room mics." It's like I can't get that with the super kick. Not that right. it sounded bad. So, the Power Stroke Three actually got it. Gave me just enough resonance, enough sustain. Um, so that kind of pushed me back to like, okay, maybe it's too much of a good thing. Maybe I need to learn how to manipulate a more resonant, open sound because. You can actually make, I mean, you think about all the records that were made with a coded ambassador, everything in the 60s, sure. everything in the of 70s. Course. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. until like the pinstripe was invented that, you know, folks started using thicker heads on the bass drum. Yeah. And yeah. like for me, like Jeff Paccaro has one of the greatest bass drum sounds of all time. He used a coded ambassador right. on almost everything. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, There's an attack that comes out of those single ply heads. And like yeah. I said, you can still have that attack. And then just put a pillow inside it if you yeah, needed to totally. be that. And there's, a, there's um, like a magic, like there's a threshold for me. Like a, I, I really like a single ply coated head on front and back. And when you first yep. put it on, it's like, oh my god, this is the worst sound. There's no low end, and it's all this bright spraying stuff. And then you, if you throw a pillow in, it's like now it's super dead and it doesn't give me anything. So yeah. there's, there's like a magic spot where I find just enough muffling where all that high stuff is gone. But then there's all this nice big round low end. Yeah, and tuning wise, if you go just above the wrinkle point, there's still some like point to it. But yeah, again, all sure. of this is like you have to spend time, a lot of time. Rather, if you just put a pre muffled head on the drum, it's like Dup, there it is. Start you know, recording. here's something that also that I've found that slowed a lot of my students down from experimenting with bass drum heads. They're expensive. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah. So so you don't want to mess around. And be like, oh, let me just try out a single ply clear. Oh, I didn't like it, but that was forty dollars. <laughs> yeah. That's so so true. eighty dollars front and back. So I think that obviously, like I changed a lot. What I did, and I'll just say it straight up, I did it based off of finding an Aquarian artist who had the sound I wanted, and I called my Aquarian rep and I said, "What is Yost Nickel using in these Minel videos?" Oh, cool. I wasn't a Minel artist yet. And I didn't even know who Yost Nickel was because I called him Jost. Yeah. So I was like, what is Jost Nickel using in this video? <laughs> and my Aquarian rep, and I'd been playing Super Kicks forever. 
And Chris Brady said, he's using the Force One front and back. And I said, what's a Force One? He said, it's, it's similar to the P3. It's a single ply head with another ply of a ring, of a yeah, reinforcement muffling. ring. Muffling ring. Yeah, but without the actual muffling that the Force One has. So yeah. I, and that's when the light bulb went off. Like, you know what? Let me get my bass drum to have a little more tone and a little more attack. And from there, I'll season to taste with first a T-shirt, then a towel, and then probably the most muffling I go would be a DW pillow, like the hourglass-shaped mm-hmm. pillow. That's me going, okay, I'm shutting this thing down. But uh, when I was changing from my broadcaster over to the new USA Custom, I was taking the muffling out, and it was uh, a, a normal-sized towel and then two shirts from Banana Republic with the tags on them <laughs> that I was so lazy to not return them that I stuck them in my bass drum. Hey. I was like, what? <laughs> I literally looked at them and I was like, First of all, why are the tags on too? When was the last time I bought a collared shirt? That's an expensive. And Amber looked muffling. at it. I know, well, I got it at the outlet. They were eighteen dollars a piece, so uh, that's cheaper than one of those like bricks that you put in your kick for forty five dollars. So, so anyway, so yeah, so I think that that's when really things changed for me with bass drum heads. Was I found an artist who had the sound that I like that I liked, and I knew he played for the company that I was getting my heads from. So. Mm-hmm. It all worked out. So I think if you're nervous about, I don't want to spend 40 or 50 or $60 and be wrong, find an artist and then just find out. I mean, with, with today's social media, you could probably even ask the artist. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. I had no way to get a hold of Yoast. This is like eight years ago. But um, now I would actually hit Yoast up on Instagram or on Facebook and be like, hey, what's your bass drum recipe? Yeah, and it's been such a, a point of mystery and fascination for me. Every time I interview someone or go check out a show and I can get to the kit, the, the one thing I look at is the bass drum. What are they using? Do they have yeah. anything in there? How's it set up? Mm-hmm. How's it tuned front and back? I mean, I'm, that's, I'm like, because bass drum for me is so mysterious, mainly because what you hear when you play it is not what actually gets projected out in front. Right. So a lot of it is you have to kind of you know, shut your ears off and just trust that it's doing what it needs to do in front of the kit. You know, like yeah. like Steve Jordan's kit was very interesting. He actually had a coated Power Stroke three on it, and and the logo okay. head on the front. But he had a bunch of stuff inside which I didn't expect. You know, but it was really? tuned, but it was tuned kind of higher, and he had like a blanket or something inside. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. And then uh, when I interviewed Shannon Forrest for a woodshed feature was the day he got his, at the time he was a Yamaha artist and he got his first recording custom kit from him. So I helped him put it together. So I got to see like how he tunes it and how he sets everything up. It was a coded ambassador on the kick drum front and back and a big old down pillow inside of it. There you go. It sounded amazing. It sounded absolutely amazing, which that is the Jeff Picaro sound. Like that's totally. And that's what Ash does. And every time I'm like, bro, your kit sounds horrible. And go in the control room. Tell me the same thing. And I go in there. I'm like, oh, your kit sounds so good. Unbelievable. Um, And the other thing that we have to take into account, too, especially with bass drum heads more than any other head is durability. You get that single ply texture coated and if you're somebody that's slamming and you don't put a bass drum patch on you're going to go through that head especially depending on the beater if you have like a wood beater or a plastic beater and you're just you know laying into it um so let me ask you this what about patches do you use a patch or do you think it changes the sound it definitely does i think early on when all we had were those thick kevlar patches that that kind of to me, changed the sound in a way that I didn't like. It made it so sure. clicky and clicky. Yeah, 
I mean, it made it super durable. But there's so many other options now with the thinner fabric ones, like Evans uh, patch, and and I think even the Aquarian one. You, you don't, I don't really notice as much. But well, no, I mean, Aquarians is actually a ply of their mylar from their heads. Yeah, it's just sticky on one side, yeah, so you're really just making that one little section a double ply head. Yeah, so I don't notice it, and I I have certainly wrecked heads by you know because a lot of times it's when I'm recording, I'll just swap out to a wood beater if I need something extra punchy. Yeah. I don't consider that, by the way, it's a code and ambassador. And <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So yep. I've certainly yep. destroyed heads not thinking about it. So I'm very cautious now that if I'm going to use a plastic or wood beater, you know, I'll put something on the head to make sure it's, it's mm-hmm. safe. But, yeah, those original ones, and I even used, like, the double kick one. That was, it was just yeah, so did. thick. Or the Danmar yeah. that had, like, a piece the of metal in it. Uh, they were they had plastic. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. uh, my first patch ever was gaff taping a silver dollar there, yeah, yeah, or geez. duct taping. That's I didn't good even know for gaff durability. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. But you know, another Plast- another guy with one of my favorite kick drum sounds is Todd Zuckerman, and he uses the Danmar pad. Wow. I mean, it, wow. but he has a great bass drum sound. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I think experimenting is the key and understanding what's out there and then also learning, okay, they all have the same thing for the most part. Remo has a, you know, has their muffled head and Aquarian has their muffled head and Evans has their muffled head. They all just call them different things. And then yeah. everyone has a single ply coated head. Yeah. Uh, there's Aquarian went ahead and named theirs the single ply texture coated. Uh, it's so then, hard for me to write about their products because it's like it's a coated texture coated. <laughs> I mean, duh. Yeah, I know, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. I, we've talked about it. I, I'm like, you know, uh, and that's one thing I will say about the marketing of Remo is that just like a lot of times we call phones iPhones, no matter who makes them, a lot of times we call single ply heads ambassadors. Yeah. And we're not talking yeah. about Remo. We're just talking about drum heads. And that's a that's kudos to them. That's fantastic marketing to be able to do that and to call, yeah. you know, we've talked about it before, to, to call all tissues Kleenex. Yeah, exactly. And when you become you know, the the noun for that product, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing. So, so everyone, we get into your ba- uh, Oh, what we are you talked about front heads. Not I didn't which. know that mattered. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, so, first of all, to put a button on the batter heads, which we didn't really even dig into but there's a feature in the june issue it's all about what you need to know about bass drum heads i tried to get into the nuts and bolts of single ply double ply pre-muffled uh vintage style and resonant heads but i would say for everyone who's been afraid to try a single ply head as a batter head get one just have one and just experiment because i cannot find the low end kind of warmth from a pre-muffled head that I can find from a single ply coated head with just the right amount of muffling. I totally agree. different I experience, agree. but it takes some work. So that's I can see that. And if you ever want your bass drum to have tone, it's it's just not going to have it with those muffled heads. And so it is nice every once in a while even to change up your own practice to say, okay, I'm going to have my bass drum nothing in it, single ply coated heads, and let it ring out and be an actual bass drum instead of a kick drum. And it's going to change the way you play. And I think that's super important. I think the other thing that we should say, though, is it's going to be tough to find the right head if you don't know what the the end result is that you're looking for. So it helps if you know – like if you want the most Pantera sound ever, stay away from, you know – uh, the, the modern vintage yeah. head. It's <laughs> not going to work for you. Uh, so so having a bass drum sound in mind really helps. That's why I mentioned the Yost Nickel thing. Like I was on that search for my own sound, and when I heard his bass drum, I said, okay, kit-wise, 
it all sounds good, but the kick, that's what I wish my kick sounded like. And mm. that's what led me down the journey. So right, what about as far as Rezo heads? Why do all companies put their logos on horrible Rezo heads? <laughs> it's like, dude, I'd be happy to. Well, they don't do it as bad as they used to. It used to be really bad because it was like this giant like sticker thing. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes they paint it on, but I'd say it's better now. Uh, do you? Well, let me ask you this: Is there any muffling touching your Rezo head? Totally depends. Totally depends. Okay. Now I have found. Um, Again, it's so much experimenting, which is why I think the best situation for someone who wants to just really get to know the drum is just two coated single ply heads, and then yeah. it's totally up to you to kind of figure out what happens if the batter head is medium-ish and the front head is super loose. You get like a distortion right. that sounds amazing. I think it actually adds like room tone. It makes the drum sound like it's in mm. a bigger room. But do you think like why would I ever want the front head to be like essentially wrinkled? But it's a it's a really cool sound. I think of like soul coughing okay. or something like yeah, bands that real vibey sure. bass drum sounds. It's Rudder. like there's a, yeah, there's like a distortion on it. Uh, yeah. But to do that, you can't have anything touching it. But in general, um, yeah, usually I mean, my Ludwig kit, it's a pillow inside. I'm going for the just the classic punchy sound. Sure. Very rarely do I leave it unmuffled more than anything because the microphone just keeps picking up the sound and it just starts to hum you can get feedback yeah. and all kinds of annoying stuff yeah uh, but you know i like either i either like a thin resonant head so i can dial in that distortion or a super thick like fiber skin or calf tone or something okay that kind Have of you, did you ever use any of the muffled heads on your reso side totally i mean again really? I, was, okay. I was a super kick system guy for years and so it was perfect did you do regulator yep regulator yep. yep i did that and it was, that was great. My, my touring days was super kick and then regulator yeah but but my problem with those again is that the muffling takes away all the high overtones, which is actually what gives you some vibe if you dial them in the right way. It's just right. this roundness, so you're always going to get this round resonance, which in most cases is what you want, but not always. It's like Right, yeah, I there's not a lot of flexibility. Yeah, I you agree. don't get any kind of like papery kind of coolness if, if it always has a muffling ring on it. So I'll usually either go like super heavy, which I think actually brings the fundamental note of the bass drum down a little bit, like a coated emperor or a coated... Okay. Um, fiber skin or something or the single ply just a regular single ply mm. in general i don't love the pre-muffled resonance anymore again because it just it gives me too much of a pitch at times that i'm yeah. like chasing this note like what the heck is going on and it's the front head just producing the pitch yeah um, i just kind of feel also too like that when we talk about the flexibility when i'm tuning up pre-muffled heads on both sides there's like this area of tuning where i'm t turning the key and really nothing's happening i'm like that ah, still sounds like that it still yeah, sounds like that right. and I'm, I'm really kind of cranking it and then making it loose and i'm like it kind of sounds the same all the time <laughs> when i have two single ply heads or even what i use uh with the uh force one it's a drum like i'm actually getting tone out of it mm -hmm. and i'm tuning both sides and i just have so much flexibility to do exactly what you're saying let me try this oh let me try this and every time i do a little adjustment it's a new sound, and I think that that's a lot of fun because it gives me more flexibility to find what what I like in bass drums. Yeah, and it's always it's always different. I mean, sometimes I like the batter head. I mean, the front head really high, and it gives me that real kind of big boomy sound. Or I like it just sure. above finger tight, and it's just ultra punchy and kind of gritty. Um, in general, for me, the batter head I kind of I tune for attack. 
and then I use the front head to bring in any kind of tone, either to get rid Resonance. of tone or to bring in tone more. Sure, yeah. uh, so that makes sense. My general, you know, unless I'm playing and like I think a also, kit or something, but right. It also, I was just going to say, it also depends on the bass drum size. I have a f- my bass drum is only 14 inches deep, so my resonant head is massively important. It yeah, wouldn't be true. quite as important on my 18 inch deep bass drum, where the resonant head really doesn't get to do its job. So, and I think on yeah, deeper man. drums like that, that's when a super heavy pre-muffled head is even more of a problem for me because you mm-hmm. you can't physically hit the drum hard enough to activate the at least i can't to actually activate yeah, the head i'm with you it just you just get I this kind of completely. all attack sound so anyway yeah the feature is in the june issue i tried to canvas the entire current crop of what's out there um and we're going to do the same thing with snare drums and toms so we'll, we'll return awesome. to this topic in the future for sure I love it. Well, before we get into our featured artist, let's uh, hear a little bit about this week's sponsor, Dream Symbols. Dream Symbols. Uh, they uploaded a couple more lessons to the website. So if you go to dreamsymbols.com, there's a there's a really nice one by, um, I think we called him out before, Nicky Bags. Yeah, man. That uh, dude's yoked. Yeah, Nick, Nick Baglio. He's got a... A good, I mean, his drums always sound killer, but he's just, you know, simple sticking right, left, right, left, left kick, and he just shows you how to kind of displace it and create interesting figures and stuff. And it's kind of funny because he messes up and his voiceover, you know, might drop a couple <laughs> curse words here and there. It's pretty cool. He's a good drummer, man. I he's started following him yeah. after we featured him, you know, like a couple weeks ago talking about Dream. I started following him. I'm like, oh, this guy's legit. Yeah, yeah. He's. <laughs> Good dude, for sure. Yeah, so check What's it out. What's he playing? Uh, oh, you know what? They actually don't say what his setup is, and the video's in black okay. and white, so I can't tell the gear, but I'm sure he could He could probably chime in and tell us. But it's if you go to streamsymbols.com backslash lessons, there's, you know, they, it looks like they're going to be adding stuff regularly, weekly or something. So it's, you know, short video-based lessons. Cool stuff. Cool. Very cool. All right. Featured artist is, oh, man. Yeah, this is Blake Richardson from Between the Buried and Me. Mm-hmm. So we transcribed a bunch of his beats in the June issue, and Blake was such an awesome team player that he filmed videos of himself explaining and demonstrating some of those beats, uh, which he didn't have to do, so super appreciative of him to do that. It was great to see him speak on camera, too, because he actually has a very relaxed personality that gives you the vibe. The one thing about Blake that I love is he's somewhere in between our you know, 80s and 90s metal drummers and our current uh, Garskas, Halperns, that kind of freak of nature stuff. He's somewhere in between where he still has that like, dude, this is straight up metal. Yeah. But then but it's got the orchestrations that are a little more advanced. So I think actually if you're somebody that really likes metal and then you listen to modern whatever modern metal is and it's a little intimidating, I would definitely check out Blake's drumming because I think you might find it a little more relatable and just be like okay i could do that in 20 years instead of 26 <laughs> years for, for you know the animals as leaders stuff that's so insane i think this is just because I, I was watching him today and i was thinking like man he is a stud and he's super clean and super clear especially when you're refilming this stuff yeah right you know yeah. and you know that every and every drummer in the world's watching but he's super clean and everything but you kind of think like like okay, this is. I think this is possible. This isn't. You know, the, what? Uh, who was the guy we did last week or two weeks ago? Um, ambidextrous cat. Oh, Travis Orban. Who, by the way, yeah. I'd, I'd forgotten that he actually was in Periphery before Matt Halpern 
That's uh, right. Yeah, that's right. My, my friend Aaron that. texted me. He's like, "Hey, by the way, Travis was in Periphery before." <laughs> awesome. <laughs> We're so awesome. <laughs> Could you imagine if we had somebody that just at the end of each episode just called us out just on everything, fact check everything? Like, yeah, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. That part would be longer than the episode. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Blake's a stud, and I, I, I don't think if you heard the music by itself, which we'll play for you uh, in just a second. I don't think you'd be ready for how calm and relaxing he is on camera to you. Like he's talking to you and he's giving you this vibe like, okay, well, here's what happened and here's why we did it. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. And it's very calm. I've never seen him on camera before. So as somebody that only does that for my whole day. I was really impressed. Yeah, he's he's great. I think you're you're kind of hit the point. Like he, I get the vibe. I could be completely wrong. When I think of animals as leaders, there's a strong like fusion element, and you know a bit of like jamming yes. element. At least with Matt, like he can go into sections where he's just ripping. Where I think with with this band, he has to write very specific parts. Like it's very yeah. It I'm feels like modern parts. dream theater. Like it's not stuck in an era but it's very like you said it's very orchestrated Um, but I was thinking when I was watching it you and I are just in such a different world where 90% of what we're doing in a song is a groove and then there's some fills that get us from one one point to the next but this is like so much more orchestral than that yeah it goes start to finish yeah it's like the fills are just as important as the groove it's yeah it's totally different i dig it i mean it's not i'm not i don't listen to a ton of metal but i have nothing but respect when i see this is like get your parents off your back thing because if you're getting like c minuses or d's in school but you can remember all of these notes for four minutes you can tell your parents look i'm a genius i'm just bored at school listen to the verse of this song mom i'm a freaking genius i memorized all those notes i literally had Um, the same thought not not that exact thing though but similar thought like man i have a hard time just remembering where the stop is in the bridge do i open the hi-hat on the and a two is that every two bars? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know that my brain could handle five minutes of, like, every four bars or something very important and intricate. That right. I to <laughs> totally. Uh, man, yeah, not a lot of, hey, do you guys, do you want to sit in with my band tonight? No, I don't. I have no desire to sit in with your band. All right, so let's drop in some audio. This is actually taken from the video that uh, Blake produced for us, and this is the song. It's the first one that we transcribed, Condemned to the Gallows. Let's check it out. Hey, what's up, guys? Blake from Between the Bear to Me here. I want to show you a little snippet from a song called Condemned to the Gallows off our new record, Automatic, coming out this year. Let's check it out. Sticking there is based loosely on a linear pattern between the hands and the feet. So right hand, left foot, left hand, right foot. Now I do take some liberties with some random coordinated syncopation points between my hands and my feet, whilst also carrying the main rhythm, which is a triplet feel, on my right hand. So one thing that jumps out to me right away is the audio. This is a video lesson. 
Yeah. No, he went That's full incredible. In. I mean, it kind of. I think it kind of shows his attention to detail and professionalism. Like, and he dropped yeah. in the transcriptions, and I mean, it's as good as anyone could produce and he just did it for us <laughs> you know? that's awesome awesome really really cool um yeah blake's an amazing guy I've, I've actually only met him once um but then we've talked away from um you know the in-person stuff i think i met him at a nam once and actually halpern was the one that introduced us oh cool uh, but just a, an amazing guy and like i said you hear the music you get your you know, kind of a predetermined ideas of who the drummer is. And then you see him and hear him speak to the camera and you go like, uh, that's just a dude. You yeah. know, he's a nice guy that just happens to be really good at the drums. All right. Well, everyone check out Blake Richardson. You can check him out obviously with between the Barry to me and you can just check out him, check him out on YouTube and find a bunch of solo stuff as well. He's a fantastic player and, uh, and a killer person as well. All right. You ready to get into some questions or some gear review? <laughs> Good God. You're running out of time, aren't you? Yeah. All right. That's all right. So these are symbols. You want to hit one? (laughs) Those sound good. And listener questions. (laughs) These are pretty cool, though. I actually Uh, checked these out. All right, yeah. So unfortunately, we have to do a a short version, but I I reviewed the Turkish symbols. Lale, I wish I could pronounce her last name. Cardace. Cardis. Cardis. Yeah. Her signature symbol. So she plays in a real kind of like, vintage style garage rock band in in turkey and her symbols reflect that so these are one of the first sets of of handmade turkish symbols that i've reviewed that didn't have that trashiness overhammered totally. super kind of funky these are just really smooth big washy warm they actually symbols. reminded me a lot of the peisty giant beats which i would not equate to turkish symbols yeah very true and that, that makes perfect sense because she's playing kind of vintage style rock which yeah. that's the sound that a lot of those drummers were using so mm-hmm. real you know against what i expected the they were i could use i felt like i could use these in any kind of rock or like mid-tempo singer-songwriter yeah. kind of stuff and for and it's it's funny, like I, I know nothing about the process of how these were made, but when you read the description, oh, fifteen inch hats, twenty inch crash, twenty two inch crash, twenty four yeah. inch ride, yeah. in your mind the pitch goes super down. When you hit that twenty two inch crash, I was like, That sounds like my nineteen. Yeah, exactly. Pitch I mean, these things sound amazing. So they're actually even though they're huge, they're cutting through. But I I can't imagine and you were there in the room, so maybe you can tell me more about this. They must just move a lot of air, even though the pitch is kind of up. You know, it must be this great balance between yeah. huge symbols, but you're getting a, a nice cutting sound. Exactly. They felt like they had just enough brightness to cut through, but I think the size and just the nature of how they're made, they, they kept everything from getting anywhere kind of splashy or harsh. Or sure, I wouldn't describe them as glassy, but I would describe them as like smooth and just pleasing. Yeah. But you could really, mm-hmm. they had enough kind of stability that I feel like I could I could really wail on them too. The the clarity on those 15 inch hi-hats was crazy. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, they didn't yeah. Have sound chunky or clunky. So we'll drop in some audio. This is the what am I actually testing? I've got the 15 inch hats. Yeah. There's a 18 inch crash as well. So you'll hear a little bit of the whole thing.
I guess the, the hi hats to me, there's there's something with Turkish made hi hats that have a I can't describe it what it is. I want to say nickel, nickel-y. It's like a but nickel-y. Nickel-y. silvery, silvery maybe is the word I'm thinking about. <laughs> it's hard it, to, it's hard to put it, words to it, but there's something there yeah. that initially I think I don't know if I like that cuz I'm so used to the way that like new beats and things sound, but Uh-huh. It's unique. It's kind of a sh- it's this extra bit of shimmer or something. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and if you go on YouTube and watch her play them, it, it just fits her style so well. These are these are symbols where you can kind of I don't know how to say this because I definitely don't want it to be a negative. I mean this as a positive, but you can kind of have that garage vibe of just like I'm sweating, I'm hitting stuff, I'm not trying to be overly flawless, and they just hang in there with you. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed when I read. So I read the um, description first that you wrote, and then I listened to them, and the two did not match up as far as the sizes mm. and the, as soon as you just even see the brand Turkish, I'm like, well, I know what those are going to sound like. Oh, yeah. Wrong. Um, <laughs> I was also not ready for the fist holding the dagger oh, yeah. on the symbol. Pretty epic. <laughs> that tells she you what you're getting into right away. She drew that. I think she has a different version of that that's going on other model. I'm not sure, but that's yeah, cool. That's, that's original art by Lale. Awesome. Really cool. Well, really cool stuff. Um, and the, the symbols sound fantastic. And I think that one thing that really sticks out to me is that they just didn't they didn't make the thing that they've been making over and over you know you know yeah. what i mean like it's like okay well this just actually rounded up your lineup and that's what i'm always looking for in whether it be a drum company or a cymbal company is did you just piggyback off what's been successful for your company or did you actually expand your lineup so that your brand now has a a more dynamic range and yeah, yeah. these have that yeah it's true i think of it's funny because I think of Turkish symbol companies usually having like ultra heavy rock stuff and then super right. dry, complex, dark stuff. This kind of is in that middle of like just nice and lush sounding symbols. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the closest thing I can think of is Giant Beat, but there is more Turkish to it. So there's yeah, a little, little bit of wash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, uh, definitely check those out. And uh, and like I said, go to YouTube and watch uh Watch her play them because that's really cool as well. Uh, all right, all right. You ready rip, to get into some questions? Rip through a couple here. So I think we've this might b- have been the first thing that we just disagreed on when we talked about this before. Oh, what, nice. What do you think would be a more versatile pairing of a bass drum and floor tom? A, an eighteen by twenty-two with a sixteen by sixteen, or a sixteen by twenty with a fourteen by fourteen? Hmm. Ooh, versatile and personal favorite. That's a tough one to separate for me. Yeah, right, right, right. Hmm. You know, because I'm thinking right away, like, well, 20 and 14, I can do everything I, I want with it. But then it's like, well, what is versatility? Is it going from the rock gig to the pop gig to the funk gig to the wedding gig? So uh, for me, it would. it's, I don't know. I, I like the 20 and the 14 because of the fact that if you're actually gigging, it's a lot less weight in those two drums yep. than a 22 and a Very 16. True. So it's going to be a little bit easier for loading in and loading out. <clears throat> Microphones can get me wherever I need to be volume-wise. So I'm okay with that. Um, but it depends, too. I, I really wouldn't want to be on a on a Zeppelin cover gig with a 20-inch bass drum and a 14-inch floor tom. So I think, it, I think mm. you just have to figure out what is the range of stuff that you're playing. Give me your opinion, buddy. Well, he said an 18 by 22. I automatically would remove that. <clears throat> for versatility that's not an option um right if it was a 14 by 22 then you're now you're talking but right 
16 <laughs> by 20. Now you're talking. I would actually, uh, man, I would go with a, with the 20-inch bass drum and the 16-inch floor tom because you can always tune the 16 up a little higher and get the, high, okay. get the higher tones, but you're never going to get the 14 to put out that massive amount of air that you need on a bigger stage. Yeah. Uh, that would just be, I would do that for me personally. Um, yeah. That said, I use a 14 a lot for little club gigs because it's you can set up in tighter spaces. It still sounds big. You can get a lot out of it. It records great. Microphones love it. It's just Man, when you're playing really loud, it's just not going to do it. Right. That's what I loved about that PDP X7 back in the day is they said you were getting a seven-piece kit. And I was like, no, I'm getting three options right. yeah, of kits. True. I'm going to go 10-14. I'm going to go 12-16. I'm going to go 10-16. I had all these options. I always played a four-piece kit, but I had so many options for under $1,000. It was amazing. So if you can, I think in the future it would be great to have a 14 and a 16. And that way you just know which gig needs what. All right, ready for the That's next all one? I got, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what the hell, bro? I can't even see straight right now. I can't care the whole damn podcast, Austin. <laughs> I was just looking for the next question, and, and you just, like, stopped abruptly. For once, I stopped talking? Sorry. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm trying to find one that won't take too long to answer. So Ah, it's all good. Um, okay. Our next one comes right. from Derek. I don't know if we'll be able to answer it, but we can try. He said, oh, the, by the way, the last one was from Todd. I don't think I mentioned who it was from. The first one was from Todd. This is from Derek. Um, for snare drum tuning, what tune bot settings or pitches would you call low, medium, and high? I mean, Ooh. I actually do have pitches, but. Then go with yours because I honestly, I don't even remember any of mine. And I'm pretty sure mine are on their website, and I've never even looked at them. So, so I think of. Most of the songs that I end up having to record, and it's, it's almost only in recording when I actually tune the, the snare drum to match anything. So I don't pay attention. Okay. I'm not playing a gig. I just tune to get it to sound good in the room. Uh, almost all the tunes are kind of like in the key of like C to G, C, E, or G, or D. So I'm I'm always kind of swimming in that range of a fifth from C to G. So right in the middle, E would be kind of your medium to medium high if you go up towards a G, I'm talking about fundamental pitch. So you have both heads right. unmuffled and you hit the center of the drum and what note the does middle of the drum, drum play yep. with the snares off. So E, you know, like D sharp, E, F, that's kind of where I think is the sweet spot in the medium range where the drum just records really well and sits right in the track beautifully. Once you go above that, I would put that into the tight range. So once you get up to the G, maybe even A, you can kind of push it. That's when the head's getting tight and you kind of lose some of the overtones, and that gives you that, what I think of as a high kind of pop sound. Okay. And then when you go down below E, down into like C, maybe down to B, that's when you get into that real low kind of like fat kind of funky sound that you inevitably have to muffle it some. So that would be my, like anywhere in the C area is low and the E area is medium, G area is high, fundamental pitch. And but nice. the bottom head is all the way up, basically as high as it can go, in nice. every tuning. You know, but that would change if I'm in a different room. So that's just me recording with microphones on yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I, I still just use the TuneBot to get. Once I get the drum sounding how I want it to sound, then I fine tune it with the TuneBot, make sure it's in tune. Yeah, um, right. But I'm never thinking. 
well, even though this drum sounds amazing, I know it's supposed to be at 180 hertz, so we're going there no matter what. Yeah, you know, right, I just right. kind of go like, oh, it sounds amazing, and that tension rod's at 162. Now I'm going to tune them all to 162 because yeah. that's how it's working in this room. Exactly. So, yeah, I think um, I think a better suggestion, which is what I did initially with all of my drums, was not use any kind of a pitch device. Tune the batter head to where it's giving you a nice, full, resonant sound, but you're also getting a good rebound. You can play buzz rolls on it. That's your medium sound. That's what that drum, yeah, that's the medium go. pitch for that drum. And then if you go higher, and as soon as you start to hear the overtones get choked out, I would consider that high. And then you go lower, and as soon as you start to get that extra low end, that and, and you have to like muffle the drum, muffle that's it. the yep. low. But it's going to be different low. on every single drum. On it, yeah, the drum is a, is a big part of it for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, guys, you can keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. I'm sorry that we're cutting the question section a little short, but I've got camp to get to. So we are now going to get to our picks of the week. And I have to ask or just bring this up. So there's things in the drum world uh, that we all know to be amazing. And it's so cool when we've known it our whole existence and it could be a video or whatever. And then you run into somebody that's never heard of it, right? Mm-hmm. The, that moment you get to share something with somebody where you're like, wait, you've never seen Tony Royster's solo when he was 12 at the Modern Drummer Festival? <laughs> right. Oh my God, this is going to blow your mind. So last night, the band was here. We were playing for the campers and the campers were out to dinner and we're just rehearsing. I asked uh, Dino and Q, I said, hey, have you ever tried to play in 5-8 but give it the feel of, it's like, it's 6-8 feeling, but it's minus one eighth note. And they mm-hmm. were like, no. And I'm like, well, think like, Seven Days by Sting. And and both of them had a blank look. And I'm like, have you never heard Seven Days by oh, Sting? Wow. And both of them were like, no. So I'm like, get your ass in the control room. <laughs> I, I know we're supposed to rehearse for the campers. I don't care. Get in the control room. We're listening to Seven Days. So we do that. They're freaking out, not just over the Vinny's drumming and, the, and everything, but over the chord changes. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, oh, did you hear that? Oh, and so they're doing that. And then... And they're asking, like, wait, this is in five? And I said, yeah, but he's, he's hitting every third eighth note on the hi-hat. So it's in five, eight, but he's going one, two, three, four, five, one, two, you know. And so anyways, we're going through all that. And I'm just talking about those little fill sections. I know he's hitting every fourth yeah. eighth note on the hi-hat, and the grooves don't freak out people. <laughs> um, so anyways, <laughs> sorry, can you tell that I've been, like, in YouTube land lately? Like, I know my watch is on my right hand. My dad was left-handed. That's why I wear my watch on the right hand. Just leave me alone. So anyways, um, <laughs> so, Speaking so of we're which, listening to Kudos yeah. for you to be able to wear a watch and play drums. I can't have anything on my hands when I play. So, it's so, it's so funny. Uh, God, I can't even remember. Somebody just said that on Instagram. And uh, it's it's once your body gets used to it, you're used to whatever you're used to. If I take my watch off, it feels like there's helium in my arm. It just floats up to the so ceiling. weird. Because I'm so used to having this weight on it. So anyways. Um, what the hell is so your I pick of the sh- week? <laughs> I know. So I, I'm coming to it. So I got, never going to be a Mr. I got to go to camp. <laughs> right. So I showed them that. They're asking questions about everything. I said, you know what? There is a video, even though it's only audio, on YouTube of Vinny explaining this. Oh, so yeah. my pick of the week is a video. The title is Vinny Kaliuta Explains Sting's Seven Days. Uh, the person that uploaded it is Kev O'Shea. And it's Vinny playing this stuff while talking on a headset mic and blowing your mind. But most importantly, he's letting you into the songwriting process. Hey, Sting wanted this. It needed to have this feel. Sting created a loop on a drum machine. So I did this with it. And then I implied this quarter note pulse over the top of it. 
And then he said, and here's the end of the song where I go bananas. And he's still talking and dropping heat all over everybody. <laughs> so uh, my pick of the week is one of the greatest videos ever to not have video because <laughs> it's only audio. It's on YouTube. It's called Vinnie Caliuta Explains Sting Seven Days. Did you see that uh, jazzheaven.com posted a video of someone lighting a cigarette while Vinnie was playing, like lighting it in his mouth, like he's just ripping in a rehearsal <laughs> and someone walks, he had an unlit cigarette hanging out of his mouth, someone walks over and lights it. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, so Vinny. It is like, awesome. For man. me, it's like that golden era of Vinny, like the mid-late 90s when... Right. It's just like, yeah, so badass. <laughs> it's awesome, man. And Not you know, that I was funny is, smoking, but you know, it was great to have like both Q, my bass player, and Dino, my guitar player, say like, "So this is Vinny Caliuta," because yeah, yeah. you know they've heard of him, they know the name, they always hear me. But and but to see it like that, and to see have like sit them down and say, "This is the brilliance of literally one of the greatest drummers to ever live." It was awesome. They're like, okay, so what album is this, and how do I get that? And it, it was cool to turn your two friends, two musician friends, onto Seven Days, knowing they're going to find St. Augustine in Hell, oh, yeah, yeah. and I Hung My Head in 9-8. It was cool. So cool. what's your pick of the week, buddy? So my pick of the week is a concept, not an actual object. So um, I've spent a ton of time working on playing with a click track and an offbeat click track and you know, trading fours with the click going off and on. What I have not done, which I need to go back and do a lot more of, is evaluating my sense of my own confidence in time over a long stretch of time. So, and I remember reading this in a Bill Stewart cover story, probably in the mid 90s, thinking, wow, that'd be a great thing to practice. And I never did. So, 20 years later, I'm finally coming back to it. Uh, so, it's you, you play along to a metronome for a couple minutes, get really locked in, make sure everything's solid. And then you turn the metronome off and you keep playing. And then five, ten minutes later, you turn the metronome back on and see where the hell you are in relation to where you started. Ah. Uh, I'm discovering when I have to play in situations with a click track, like live performances, 100% confident. I know I'm going to be pretty darn accurate. I'm going to bury it as well as I possibly can. If there's a stretch of music where there's no metronome, I'm like, I'm don't really know i think yeah. i think i'm okay but then i start hearing other people pushing and pulling in certain ways i'm like is it me is it them so right. i need to go back and do a little bit more of this kind of you know zoom out how is my time over 10 minutes can i can i do i really know what 120 yeah. feels like can i just sit down and play 120 and know that i'm going to uh, start such a and good stop thing. there you know uh my band just started doing that with um using live bpm oh yeah yeah. So we just start, and then I literally flip my phone over right after the intro of a song, knowing like, okay, we started at 162, and then I flip it back over when we're done, and I'm like, oh, there's the graph. Oh, boy. <laughs> we ended at 170. That's a bunch of BPMs. Like, yeah. that's eight little BPMs running around, like, having fun, fun with each other. So, yeah. so yeah, I think that uh, live BPM is great for that. Uh, it's not the greatest interface, but it's pretty darn easy. You play, it charts out your time, and then it tells you if you're creeping up. If you're obviously, if you're throwing down chops, it won't be able to do that. So I, a metronome yeah. would be much better for that. But yeah. um, I, I now mean, in that, are you just grooving or are you also improvising? No, I mean, just, well, just time first. Like, mm -hmm. can you, can you hold 120 and, and, I think live BPM is great if you do what you do and you turn it over. But if you're looking at it, you're always going to be adjusting. So the, yeah, that's the test why I had is, to not. Yeah, the test is can you can you have zero reference and maintain yes. a tempo? Um, yeah, that's the challenge. So again, that was a Bill Stewart interview. So kind of a secondary uh, 
pick of the week would be if you haven't already go to moderndrummer.com click the archive button I know it sounds like a shameless plug, but we have no, not at all, man. We have forty plus years of every issue available to just pour through. And like I said, this Bill Stewart was like nineteen ninety six, seven, something like that. So there's, there, I feel like in every cover story, there's one of those things where if you reread it, you're like, oh, I never practiced that. How much better would I have been if I would have actually practiced <laughs> yeah. that thing that Vinny yeah. talked about in 1994? And right, whatever. right. When he gave us the secrets and we were like, no, that can't be right. Because <laughs> yeah. then I'd have to do that. Yeah. So I just remembered yeah. this thing that Bill Stewart talked about when he was at William Patterson University as a college student. And that's how he worked on his time was – Turn wow. the metronome on for a couple minutes, turn it off, keep going, turn the metronome back on, and face the harsh reality that you rush or, or slow down. One of the two. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely fantastic. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. Now, we have to talk about our outro groove because I actually remembered that. Uh, so who do we have this time for the outro groove? Outro is Doug Austin. So what's he playing? He's got a Yamaha Stage custom kit. Soul tone symbols. He's got the E-mat on it. Got some great sound there. Yeah. Funky beat. So he's actually using the Focusrite Sapphire Pro. What else we got? Yeah, cool stuff. I'm, I love what else do you need? Almost everyone is able to have a good sounding recording these days. I, I was going to say, it sounds fantastic. Yep. So that's so. Doug Austin kicking us out of here. You got to go teach. I got to go get some lunch. And I will send you some files. Everyone have a fantastic <laughs> week. We will see you guys next week. That was episode 140. Indeed. Uh, I'm so excited. So uh, we'll have fun next week. And next week I'll be way more with it because I won't be in the middle of a camp. Everyone right. have a great week. We'll see you soon. All right. See you. Later, brother.